This podcast is brought to you by the upcoming Bioceuticals Seminar Series, The New Science of Detoxification with Dr. Chris Shade. Dr. Shade is a globally recognised expert on toxic burden and targeted liposomal delivery systems. He has lectured and trained doctors in the US and internationally on the subject of mercury, heavy metals and the human detoxification system. In this one-day workshop, Dr. Shade will share his deep understanding on how to restore, manage and augment all three phases of detoxification with profound implications for health. At the end of the day, you will have a full understanding of how to provide a personalised, holistic detoxification program that moves away from the hit-and-miss shotgun approach practitioners may have used in the past. For more information visit bioceuticals.com.au slash education slash events. This is FX Medicine and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. With me on the line today is Beth Bundy, who's a qualified naturopath of over 16 years, specialising in integrative and functional medicine. Beth's been practising using a combination of nutrition, herbal medicine and homeopathic medicine, with a strong emphasis on health issues such as detoxification, weight management, adrenal fatigue, hormone balance and general anti-ageing therapies. She's worked previously as technical and practitioner consultant with PathLab, one of Australia's original functional pathology companies, and is currently training health practitioners nationally as clinical consultant at Nutripath Integrative Pathology Services. She's also practitioner consultant for Smart DNA Genomic Testing. Beth works as a functional medicine practitioner in a busy and highly successful integrative medicine practice and works with allied health professionals in a multimodality clinic and in a cosmetic clinic as well. Beth was also lecturer in nutrition and food as medicine for several years at the Australian College of Natural Medicine, which is now called Endeavour College in Melbourne. Welcome, Beth. That's a decent bio. Yeah, that sounded like quite a mouthful, didn't it? Um, Hello, hello, hello. From, but, I can actually say from sunny Melbourne today, the uh, sun is actually out. Well, that's this hour. <laughs> so, Beth, first tell me about your practice because you actually walk your talk. You know, you've used functional medicine testing for many years. Tell me how mm-hmm. it started in your clinic. Yeah, well, it actually started like most things do. I, I went to a talk by an integrative uh, pathology company, mm. really liked the sound of what it was and saw that it could add to my practice already. So, of course, always after something shiny and new, I thought I'd um, guinea pig on myself as practitioners are want to do. Yep. And so I did a saliva test on myself for my adrenals and my hormones, uh, got the results, brought tears to my eyes, uh, decided to start working on myself uh, in a much better place. So that was great. And I've really been a converted zealot about the testing since because I think it offers so much more to us as practitioners uh, to get a bit deeper into the patient. And, um, of course, now working for um, Nutripath and in an integrative medical clinic for nearly 10 years now, we, we use it 
all the time, alongside standard pathology, of course. Mm. But uh, we use quite a lot of functional testing, and um, because what we find is that standard pathology is really just that it is pathology tests. So often, when people get these tests, the doctor or the practitioner is looking for a pathology. So the practitioner can prescribe, usually, a pill for an ill. Yeah. So, you know, they might say, oh, yes, Mrs. Smith, you've got diabetes. We can we have a tablet for that. Here's some metformin. But I believe that we could really prevent this from even getting there if we could look at suboptimal and functional um, status of the patient before they get to disease status. And I, I think so, we need to define that because with regards to functional pathology, there's some scepticism around it versus standard pathology. Um, uh, and, you know, one of the examples I talk about is there is a functional test called entelepeptide, which looks at bone turnover. And years ago, this was poo-pooed by orthodoxy. And yet now it's becoming accepted as a marker for bone turnover in osteoporosis. So it's almost like it's finding its place, isn't it? Yes, and there's the, the things that do come, and, and we are behind the eight ball sometimes with uh, what's accepted as standard, I mean, especially in the medical arena. And, and this is due to a lot of the gold standard testing that can be seen as the only way to have things done, whereas actually learning more about what the functional testing can give us uh, information on the patients, I, I think, can help us a lot. Um, as I said before, you know, the standard pathology, which is your standard, um, like TSH. So if you want a thyroid function test, all we'll really get is a TSH. Yeah. And it is either you have problem because you're over five or you're fine because you're under five. And we know that it's far more about optimal levels of health of that particular individual. You know, so saliva is another classic one. It was, it's been much maligned by various medical bodies, but salivary cortisol has actually proven um, in numerous studies to be uh, on par with serum cortisol measurements. And of course, salivary cortisol is a lot easier to perform for our clients, and they can produce their samples in the privacy of their own home. And they don't have to be stressed out mm. and get elevated cortisol by going and getting a blood test. Um, and I even know some endocrinologists are using salivary cortisol and melatonin uh, more too for uh -huh. their patients. Um, also, the LDL subtractions and oxidized LDLs are being taken up by cardiologists more and more as they realize it's a more finite measure of um, cholesterol measurements. Mm. And of course, we have urinary methylmalonic acid um, is um, highly regarded as a measurement of B12 status. And, and these are not standard, but, as, as we would see it. But I think one of the beauties of, and it's not always the case, but often the case is that functional pathology isn't in, as invasive as standard pathology tests. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as I said, a patient can do a saliva in the privacy of their home. They can do a, a urinary test. They can give us a stool sample. Um quietly at home and then send it into the lab. Mm. So I find that, you know, many patients much prefer that. Plus the other thing is patients are asking for these tests. Yeah. They're, they're more savvy than they used to be. They spend a lot of time with Dr. Google and, and they want more information about themselves. So especially when they go to a standard practitioner who does the standard test, the patient's told they're fine 
and that's in quote marks. Mm. And of course, the patient says, well, I don't feel that way. Yeah, that's and I right. still feel really horrible. And um, they're not getting the answers they want. And so at least with functional medicine, we can see just what things are a little bit off kilter opposed to disease, as I said, disease state. You know, um, LFTs or liver function tests is a, is a prime example as well. It's, um, you know, once you have problems with liver function, then there's a pathology opposed to just a functional liver um, issue that can be dealt with uh, with health practitioners quite easily. Mm. You know what I, I just realised is regarding, fun- call it functional testing, um, and you talk mm. about patients doing it in the privacy of their own home. And I guess the first... Um, thing that that pricked my ears up was well, okay. What about user interface issues? What about um, you know patients contaminating the test or not doing the test properly? And then I thought further. I thought, hang on, patients very very commonly do these tests in the privacy of their own home all the time. It's called a pregnancy test. Yes, exactly, exactly. And look, there there is you know margin for error, and you know patients are sometimes decide not to read instructions until after they perform the test. <laughs> but generally, generally we find that there's not too much problems with contaminations if people follow the um, instructions. And I find the best thing is actually the practitioner advising the patient as the yeah. professional authority, telling them how to do things. And we'll, so, we'll, t- we'll talk about that a little bit later about the, the practicalities of what happens with testing. But today we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. some of the more commonly used tests um, by mm-hmm. integrative practitioners. Tell me about what we're going to be talking about today, which is thyroid, adrenal and sex hormones. Tell me about their uh, relevance in everyday clinical life. My three-legged stool. Yes. As in the chair, not the body waste. Um, the, yeah, well... Really, I find the tip is to keep it simple. When we're talking about functional testing, people get a little bit overwhelmed. Keep it simple, start with the basics and build from there. Of course, it's always relevant to the sort of clients you have in clinic and what your clinical focus is and the conditions you're going to treat. But I would say making a major generalisation, generally uh, complementary health practitioners are seeing flat, frumpy, fatigued and frazzled people Uh, because I think most people are stressed in our world and um, and most of their health conditions are, are due in part to this. So generally I start with most of my new clients um, with what I call my three-legged stool of adrenals, thyroid and hormones because they're all highly interactive with each other. They're all sex hormones um, and one you know, if one's not working, then the other one's upset and what have you. So I usually start with a salivary adrenal profile so I can check out their cortisol levels. You know, exactly how flat or flying are they? Because um, I've seen many, many people are handed antidepressants when they complain feeling flat and fatigued. And often they're not, you know, necessarily depressed. They're just really tired. Yeah. And, and And we can measure that. And across the day, so usually with the adrenal profile, we measure them first thing in the morning, around about lunchtime, in the mid-afternoon, and then I like to measure them just before they're going to bed and trying to wind down for the day. Yep. And with that information, we can really see, are they flying really high in the morning and then collapsing in a heap, or are they never really getting started in the morning? So I found with using this therapy, rather than just throwing 
adrenal herbs at somebody or you know, nutrients, I can actually be more targeted throughout the day to how better support that person. And they just feel better, they get through the day or whatever their world is involved in. And so this whole depression, in quote marks, is not quite the problem that it is. Mm. Um, oh. And it's easy. People it, just have to spit in a little tube. Yeah. And, and I think this is also one of the important things about um, the multi-sample adrenal profile is that because um, hormones fluctuate during the day. If you're going to have a blood test, it's one snapshot at one point in one time in one day. So it doesn't give you the flux of the hormones over the day. The no, variation. that's what yeah. I find too. And if they're also, re- you know, if they don't like getting their their blood taken, you know, they're already stressed out and worried about that. Um, you know, did they eat beforehand? Did they not? Did they have a coffee beforehand? All those sorts of things are confounding factors. So mm. definitely, I find. Um, I will say, in practice, we still do blood uh, cortisol. Uh, and DHEA, but I will also always do the salivary cortisol so I get a a picture of a rhythm of what, as a general rhythm of what this person is doing. Uh, I don't necessarily retest it too soon um, after some therapy because often people have been, you know, suffering for quite some time. So it's very hard to turn around 20 years of or 40 years of lifestyle mm. uh, in three weeks or four weeks on therapy. So, so when and would I you retest? that to the client. When would you retest, so, though? Oh, often not as, as a minimum six to 12 months. Right. And does that... Because, again, as I say, a lot of these people are really, you know, quite exhausted in the adrenals and it takes a while for it to, you know, to fill the bucket up, so to speak, for that to be reflected adequately in the testing. And the other thing is with the testing is, you know, when you get a graph that you can show somebody, I find my patients love to see themselves in colour on a piece of paper. And it's fabulous for compliance. Um, And then, of course, uh, not just the adrenals, I'll also look at um, sex hormones. So uh, we see, I mean, ladies and gentlemen in our clinic, but a lot of ladies will see who are overwhelmed and stressed out for being superwoman, wife, worker and mother. Mm. And their hormones are usually left behind in the lunchbox they made for the kids. So, and again, they are not necessarily depressed and or they're just tired because, um, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, they're being chased by the tiger constantly. Yeah. And that's... That's really tiring. And I find, too, that women who suffer various premenstrual symptoms have usually got a hormonal imbalance rather than an SSRI imbalance. And often <laughs> these women see these symptoms as normal, Yeah. Uh, where I usually say to them, just because it's common amongst your girlfriends doesn't mean it's normal. Yeah. You know, and I think some of that is, you know, educating our patients that um, what is normal. You know, um, and I would say there's a great percentage of girls we see in clinic that are estrogen dominant relative to their progesterone, le- um, you know, levels. Yeah. And this will make any, you know, lady 
lose her mind a little bit sometimes. So, you know, when the, when there's so many tests to choose from, how does a practitioner choose the relevant test or tests? Um, and how do you balance that to the cost that's incurred by the patient? Yeah, well, again, keep it relatively simple. If If we can get an adrenal profile, some sex hormones. So like I would, again, for a woman, I would start as a very basic, if, if price was a major issue, I would be looking at E1, E2, E3 and progesterone in the saliva. Mm. In a man, I would look at his E1, E2 and testosterone. I would try and get bloods if people have a, a friendly doctor who will do bloods or otherwise they can be requested. Uh, testosterone, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone and DHEA in the blood because uh, these can be medicared. Uh, thyroid hormones, again, TSH can be medicared, but ultimately we need a bigger picture with thyroid. Um, again, it's been spoken about before, we need T4, we need uh, T3. Reverse T3 is usually beneficial in our um, stressed out people. And thyroid antibodies, plus or minus. So, you know, I usually don't hit everyone with this. I will depend on what I'm going to do because obviously then there's stool testing that we may need. We're seeing a lot of uh, parasites in people. Blastocystis hominis is um, certainly a beastie that we see a lot. Um, we have neurotransmitter testing, which we can look at our serotonin, uh, GABA, dopamine, noradrenaline, adrenaline, and glutamate, which again has uh, effects, um, you know, interdependent with our thyroid and our adrenals and our sex hormones. So I won't do all of those in one go with a patient. I will get my my base ones done, which is usually adrenal and some hormones, um, and then work on it more as a, a treatment program where we say, well, let's look at what the results brought us in on this and start working on this. Because, as I said before, because people are so stressed, we can always usually generally start working on their adrenals because they take a while to fill up again. Mm. And in the meantime, we can we can table other tests that we do that, that add more pieces to our jigsaw puzzle of our, as, of our client. So, Beth, what other parts of this three-legged stool do you assess? What other tests do you do? Well, again, with, uh, if we're looking at our ladies and their hormones, uh, we, some of our ladies have very irregular periods or they're no longer menstruating with menopause. So um, it, it may be difficult to pinpoint exactly where in a cycle we are looking for um, hormone levels in saliva. Mm. So with those ladies, I would do what we call a 28-day female hormone profile, which will give um, 11 samples across a 28-day time frame so we can actually see, again, some sort of rhythmic pattern to estrogen and progesterone levels. Right. So at least we can see whether these girls are flatlining entirely the whole time or are really high um, at the beginning instead of the end of the cycle or what have you. So that can be really informative. Um, and then, especially with, say, our polycystic girl, also 
there's also the estrogen metabolite. So we do urinary estrogen metabolites where we can look at our 2, uh, 4 and 16 hydroxy uh, estrones and our 2 and 4 methoxy estrones, which again will give us some idea about methylation and um, estrogen metabolism capabilities. And this can be very helpful for ladies who have a personal history or family history of gynecological cancer. So and that's one of the tests that you should be um, repeating at a, like a three-month into treatment, is that right? So you do a baseline oh, and then a three-month? Most certainly. Most tests I would definitely test within three months yeah. because part of that is too, you want to see that your therapy is having some effect. Um, I, I know I said previously the adrenal one is a slower process and that's why I don't rush into retesting that. Yeah. But certainly... Um, you know your thyroids and your and your hormones. Absolutely, I, I want to know that my um, my therapy is having some benefit to the client. Obviously, I go on their symptomatology, so we go on clinical as well as just lab results. We don't just go on the lab results. Must always put um, it in the context of how the patient is presenting. Yeah. Um, that's for sure. I, I think um, that's a really interesting point that you make there because, um, like, for instance, blastocystis hominis is sort of a, uh, what do they call it, a, um, a facultative pathogen in that mm. in many people it just resides as a commensal, but it's when it's yes. causing issues. And, duh, that's the reason you're testing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this is, yeah, it's kind of, you know, we're doing the screening testing that um, Medicare doesn't allow GPs to do uh, with the functional testing. And the blasto, again, as I'm seeing that people may not necessarily have gastro symptoms or gastrointestinal symptoms, but we've had people with, you know, bizarre skin things that they can't find an answer to or um, mood issues or some other kind of, you know, interesting aspects uh, that we find blasto, we treat that and uh, people's symptoms are resolved. So it, it's good to look at. It's not always if someone's suffering from anxiety and, and are we going to jump down the neurotransmitter route, I would always look at um, adrenals and hormones and uh, the thyroid first because sometimes, as I said before, hormones can you know affect our moods. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and as can, you know, bugs in the gut and dysbiosis can have numerous symptoms that are not just gut symptoms. Same as when we do food sensitivity testing on people. People go, oh, but the food doesn't affect me. Yeah, but you've got joint pain and you get these headaches every time you eat something. Like, you know, again, patients don't necessarily correlate a symptom with perhaps a reasoning behind it. Mm. Uh, you know, Dr. Google can only tell them so much and well, then that's where we come from. Yeah, well, I think that's, a, <laughs> yeah. that, that's the ethical part of doing any sort of testing um, and indeed consulting is, um, you know, testing really only should confirm your existing suspicious. It shouldn't be used as a crutch for, you know, poor diagnostic competence. Um, oh, I, I totally agree and, and I take... Um, issue if I'm speaking to prakis and they're saying, oh, I heard about this test, I thought I'd do it on a patient. I will always say, for what purpose? Yes. What are you hoping, you know, what information you're hoping to get from that? 
And then what are you going to do with that information then? Because we can do tests on people and spend their money and then not know what to do with the results when they come through. That's exactly right. Uh, and, and that's not helpful. Mm. So this is, again, why I say to some people who are new to the uh, functional pathology is start with some basic testing first, get comfortable with that, then you can move you know, to other areas. I mean, we have, at Nutripath, we have, I think, over 200 tests. Mm. I can tell you there's no way I use them all, and there's many that I have not used mm. because it hasn't been relevant to um, the the patient, you know, my patient profile. Yeah, that's right. So, and there's certainly ones that we do a lot of because I, the information that I get from them definitely guides me to the treatment of that patient to good effect. Mm. Well, what about inter-laboratory discrepancies, though? I can still remember an example when I was nursing in ICU and mm. uh, the specialist came in, ordered some blood gases off the hospital um, pathology lab, and yeah. when they returned in very quick time, he took one glance at them and said, rubbish, get it done by the outside pathology lab and get them put it on an urgent basis. So he knew by looking at that patient and their clinical picture, he knew that that pathology result was absolute rubbish and he got them retested and sure enough, they were just different. Now that's in standard orthodox pathology. <laughs> so, um, and, and, Oh, absolutely. You know, well, and the, you've also got to remember that uh, as much as they have machines that do a lot of things, they still have people that do a lot of things. <laughs> people also, you know, type in figures. Yep. And so, you know, typos can and do happen mm. in all of these places. So, again, that's that's also knowing a little bit like, you know, your specialist there, he knew exactly what he was expecting and, and looking for. So he knew when the figure was strange, mm. you know, whereas just saying, oh, well, that's what it says, that must be what it is. I'll, I'll recognise a, a, a figure that's really out of kilter and will always confirm with the pathology lab that that is the raw data figure. Mm. Oh, because I there see. can be, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they'll have the raw data and then that has to be entered into, you know, into the system that then can spit out the result. So any practitioner can request to um, confirm the raw data, not just the test that was, test result that was conferred to them. Yeah, yeah, because there is, I mean, I have had people that go, oh, it must be wrong. Uh, look, cryptopyrols is a classic. Uh, they do a test and they're, they're presumed, either the patient has said, I've done the Dr. Google questions, I know I'm pyrol, do a test, and the test come back to negative. So then they say, oh, well, the test is wrong. Now, that's not necessarily the case. You can't expect a answer, um, you know, a result um, and then be disappointed when you don't get that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, damn, I really wanted to be diabetic. Oh, really? <laughs> um, you know, it's it's not like that. So you can't presume that you're going to see an... I mean, there can be some presumption, especially when you see a lot of them. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I can tell when someone walks in and tell me their story where, I'm, where their adrenals are going to be at, but that's over, you know, numerous years of seeing well, that's that. clinical competence, that's um, right. That's it, that's it. And the other thing you've got to remember about labs is 
different labs will have different machines and oh. different instrumentation for running tests, yep. even if they're measuring the same analyte. So even if they're both measuring TSH, they may use a different instrumentation. Yep. And those different machines will use different reagent kits from different suppliers. And uh, then they will have different reference ranges. That's right. And this is due to the statistical data of the results that go through that particular lab. Yep. So all of and so this is why there will be differentiation. So you will say, I mean, vitamin D is a classic example. Some labs that I get back will say 50 to 150 nanomoles is reference range, and another one says 75 to 250. Mm. So this is where we have to know what our optimal ranges are and what we as practitioners are wanting to see the patient to be at, yeah? Yep. And things like D and um, iron and ferritin and B12 um, are good examples of that. They are standard pathology, but we as practitioners can determine whether, yeah, but this patient could do better if they had a bit more of this or a bit less of that. So, um, so this is why we may see differences in, in figures. Yeah, yeah. Beth, let's say a patient walks into your clinic and she's uh, a female, obviously, uh, 40-something female, tired all the time, overworked, overstressed, looking after a, a young to growing family. There's so many things that could be wrong with her. How do you pick out of your three-legged stool of thyroid, adrenal and sex hormones? How do you pick which test is the relevant test? Well, depending on, of course, her story, her history, her family history will determine how I go. But generally, if she came in as, you know, one of these frumpy, frazzled, fatigued girls, I would generally look at um, the the entire three-legged stool. I would look at adrenals, thyroid, and hormones and sex hormones because I don't want to miss one thing or the other because just treating adrenals is not going to help if there's a thyroid or estrogen dominance. Just doing the thyroid, and I've, I've seen this, I've seen practitioners do this, they just treat one, one leg of the stool. You won't get as good um, response if we're not, doing all of them because they they interrelate so strongly. So especially so I would definitely do a full thyroid panel if, you know, there's thyroid history in the family. Absolutely. Yeah. And as I said, most of uh, girls that I see do have hormone hormonal issues. Um, even if they're thinking that their symptoms are in quote normal. Um, we usually find, and especially with the um, the world toxic world we live in, uh, there's a lot of estrogen dominance. Uh, I think there's a lot of um, you know liver and gut issues that people have, so we're not metabolising our hormones as well we should. And as I said, everyone is very stressed with what's being asked of us to get through life. So I would more than likely, if that's my general clientele, which it is. Uh, I, I would do the three tests. Then from there, I would move on at another time. 
to go deeper into that. I mean, we also, because I work with an integrative doctor, we also have the facility that standard bloods are looked at. Yep. So we'll do standard uh, full blood counts and um, cholesterol, sugars. We do some basic general pathology as well to see if anything's really standing out there. Not often that that happens, but more than likely in our functional testing, there's definitely things we can start working on. I would perhaps caution our listeners out there who are practitioners that it's not always easier and certainly not um, professionally comfortable for you to simply send a patient and request tests to be done. A doctor has a professional responsibility to actually consult with that patient to determine what relevant treatment needs to happen. So if you want tests to be done, certainly if you're going to be doing a battery of tests, it's, it's just do them yourself. Don't, don't, uh, don't put a doctor in a professional, professionally uncomfortable place unless they're willing to do that. I agree. And the other thing that some practitioners need to be aware of is that um, a classic example is I often hear, oh, the doctor only did TSH. Well, the doctor only did TSH because there's a strict Medicare ruling about that. So the doctor is hamstrung to a decree of what he can actually order um, and stay under the radar of Medicare not coming to knock on his door. So they're not to do screening testing. So this is when often I will do um, the test private and there's many doctors that work in the integrative medical space that will do them as a private test. They will not go through Medicare. Yes, that's right. Um, so in that instance, yes, practitioners who can't request Medicare tests mm. are sometimes better off just discussing with the patient. And all of this is positioning to your patient and saying, this is why um, I would like you to do these. I'm very... Um, you know, very certain that I'm educating my patients about why they're doing these tests and what information I'm going to get from those so they truly understand why I'm asking them to spend, you know, a couple of hundred dollars on themselves. And if I explain that well, they're often very keen to do that because they haven't been getting the results or the answers from, you know, standard testing. Mm. And th- yeah, and that's the perfect place I think of functional medicine testing rather than pathology testing. Oh, absolutely! And there's, I mean, I get excited about it because there's so many to do and there's so many to look at. And um, I think the trick is n- not getting overwhelmed, sticking to some the basics as I've mentioned. And there's, they can always get me on the phone. Help! Help! <laughs> Which one do I do now? Yeah. And, and this um, is one of your you know, fortes, Beth. I, I've got to say, I love, I love it when you present in in seminars because there's so much animation and it's teamed with relevant practice, and that to me is the beauty of what you do. Well, we need to make it practical. All the knowledge and information in the world is not very helpful if we can't then bring it to our patients and use it practically. It was just a really interesting seminar we went to. Yeah, that's right. So I like to make it useful and, um, yeah, so my clients then, you know, 
do well and get better and tell their friends and bring more. That's right. And um, that's kept me in it. And and I love what I do. And I like being animated. That's you know, people have told me I'm a bit of a muppet. <laughs> I'm not too sure whether it's Animal or Miss Piggy, but I'll take that. <laughs> Beth, there's so much more to go into, even with the three-legged stool. We could tease apart that and get, and dive into each of those tests um, you know, much more comprehensively. So would you perhaps join us on another FX Medicine podcast at a later stage? I'd love to. Thanks, Beth. We'll do that. Fantastic. And thank you so much again for taking us through, A, the three-legged tool, the thyroid, adrenal and sex hormones, but also their relevance with testing and how to benefit your patients. I really appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And, um, you know, as long as we can share this information out to the practitioners in the world, I, I think that's the best for our patients, ultimately. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Mm-hmm.